Hello, I'm Kyle Littner, Managing Director at K-Ratio, and I'd like to welcome you to a conversation on the future of contract free. Now, the notion of contractual business set against non-binding agreements is the type of paradoxical oxymoron that destroys company balance sheets and creates unnecessary turmoil across the entire industry. Today, I'll be joined with some people who view this as an opportunity for change in what's known to be a broken system. But for a quick recap, if we think back to 2018, it's the year of the provider, a shipper's worst nightmare of high rejections and high rates. 2019, the opposite. The lowest inflation adjusted rates on record. The forced closures of thousands of brokers and carriers are proverbial trucking bloodbath. 2020, everything and anything in between, and at differing times for each participant. Ahead is 2021 with great uncertainty ahead. Now, I'll be joined with Mike Carlisle, Director of Logistics Operations at US Cold Storage. Josh Phelan, VP of Finance at J.B. Hunt, and Andrew Silver, CEO of Molo Solutions. All of these proponents for change. Mike, thank you, and I'll begin with you. First, on average, what do you guys allow for service failures or rejections from your providers? So we bucket those into, into two separate uh, ways that we scorecard our carriers. So we, we look at rejections and then we look at service failures. I, obviously, we're we're moving freight for our customers. So we need to keep that anywhere from 90% or above on the service failure side. On the rejection side, it's way more of, you know, we're looking at about 80 to 90% bid compliance on primary freight that we've awarded to our carriers. We, we do an annual bid and then that's how we, um, that's how we you know, give our carriers awarded freight. So we try to keep it between 80 and 90% as much as possible. Sure, fairly standard stuff. Um, I'm gonna ask you a follow-up on that. If we stay on that bid compliance aspect, uh, if 3% of trucks suffer a mechanical breakdown once per year and they're running 150 to 200 loads on average, uh, a breakdown or a service failure is less than 1%. So why is it that you allow 10 to 20% bid compliance failure when the mechanicals or the reasons behind it aren't necessarily at that same amount? So, I mean, we understand the, the complexity of running a carrier, um, that it, it, it's not a perfect world. I mean, we're, we, we have problems at our warehouses that's gonna, that are gonna hold people up. We know that that's gonna happen at Consonese and we know that's gonna happen at other warehouses. So, you know, if, if everything ran perfectly, you know, I, I'd only have a, a department of two people that could run, you know, the 80,000 loads that we run a year. We, we know that that's part of the business to be able to have, have flexibility and, you know, use the rest of our route guide. Sure, uh, and that's understandable. And, and, and I think where I'm going with this is, you know, that presents the opportunity for the situation of tender rejections and this whole ecosystem of non-binding agreements. If it's allowed by the shipper, well now we have that uh, possible or potential abuse by the you know, less than desirable actors in the space. Uh, and that immediately makes somebody question, why, why use a broker? Why not just always go with a carrier if we do have that ability to cancel on this? And, and I'll get to that more in a second, but first I wanna hear from someone who has the offerings of a carrier and a broker, uh, Josh J.B. Hunt, at first, everyone thinks of that name, and immediately, it's one of the world's largest carriers, uh, you know, a truck company, and we all know that. But what a lot of people don't realize is that somewhat under the radar, you guys are one of the largest brokerages out there, uh, and, and you're very similar to what you know we all call, quote unquote, the digital type, except you guys don't run through investor capital, and you actually make profits. Uh, my question to you is, why would a customer... Uh, select J.B. Hunt's brokerage division instead of using uh, its truckload? You know, what is the advantage to the customer to go with J.B. Hunt brokerage? Yeah, thanks, Kyle. I, I think I'll answer that by um, 
backing up in history a little bit about when we started brokerage inside JB Hunt. You know, as, as you mentioned, we're, we're a large asset company uh, with a network of containers, network trailers, network of uh, dedicated deals for our customers. Uh, but we are absolutely customer focused. So I think we realized back in the early 2000s that while networks create uh, networks of assets, create great efficiencies and great service levels for, for our customers, we couldn't always say yes. You can't say yes when you don't have enough equipment or if you don't have equipment in the right place. So we made the decision to start up brokerage inside an asset company, which was something unusual. Uh, I think it's also worth pointing out that we started brokerage to stand on its own. It wasn't there to support our assets. It was literally there to provide better and more service to our customer. And so we take the approach of, it's not really, is it brokerage or is it asset? What is the absolute best uh, option for our customer? Whether it's service level, whether it's price. So that's where the decision comes down to. Let's meet where the customers are at and whatever service level and, and cost they're needing, we have a, a variety of options that we can provide. That's helpful. Um, you know, now we'll move to just a pure play for a brokerage, no assets, uh, but one with a very refreshing twist. Uh, Andrew, you know, your company's mantra is 100% service, no fail. You honor your commitments. And I applaud you for that. It, it's, it's very honorable. But my question is, uh, how, do you, how do you do that without putting your company at risk? You know, when you win awards from your customers, you're now locking in a certain amount of revenue that is fixed. But the costs that are associated with that and the overwhelming cost is truck capacity. That is a variable cost that you cannot control. How is it that you can move forward without the certainty of knowing what your expenses are going to be when your revenues as they are associated with contract freight are fixed? Frankly, I think it comes down to confidence in our people and the relationships that they can develop and the way that we can leverage data over time. So for us, the relationships we have with the carriers, with the JB Hunts of the world, the small guys, the mid-sized guys, everybody, it's just as important as the relationships we have with Mike at, at US Cold. So for us, if we make a commitment, you know, we're not perfect. We're not 100% of the time, right? Our, our, our MO is, you know, we let the shippers dictate what the expectation should be. And then we only agree to it if we think we can adhere to it. Uh, and, and, and we've been able to develop the right relationships where enough of our business is moving, uh, enough of our contractual committed business is moving on carriers that are also committed and, 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 and supporting us the way that we're supporting our customers. So it, it's, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, our business isn't profitable yet, but we're getting there. And, and I think as we move more and more freight through the system and develop more and more relationships with the right carriers and customers, uh, we'll have the right mix and have the right, um, support system set up. You bring up an interesting point there, and that's a lot of people in this industry have this idea of, of a brokerage and that there's some sort of evil middleman in the process. And that's just not the case. You know, they do provide a tremendous value to the industry. If we think about it just very literally, they're matching small to mid-sized carriers with enterprise level shippers that they normally wouldn't be able to touch. And there is value to be had with that. A shipper now gets to cast a wider net and they can decrease their net spend. You know, if that weren't the case, Mike wouldn't be using them. Uh, you know, the questions where they come into play is that we have this annual process of rebid, the RFP process, and every single year we reshuffle the deck as far as where the loads go. So, you know, my question to the providers and then uh, to Mike is without assets, how can you guys compete with the carrier when you put out your quotes for the RFP when you're not doing it in the same manner? The carrier knows what their costs are, they know their network, 
and they have a, a certain level of profit expectations. With you guys lacking the assets, how do you move forward with the confidence in your quotes? Uh, and then, Mike, you know, how do you put your faith in those brokers that they're going to honor those commitments when there is that uncertainty of rate? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start from the from the shipper side then. Um, so Andrew kind of hit it on the head that, uh, you know, everything now is data-driven decisions. You know, in, in 10, 15 years ago when it was, you know, the, the, the good old boy network, when it was handshakes and, you know, you got to take this and the guy knew he was going to take a six-month bath on this until produce season ended and then he'd make some money on it. Now we have the data behind it. And I, for for a large shipper like us, we on the broker side, we we use the bigger brokers that we know have those data-driven decisions. You know, where we we steer away from somebody that's that's going to be running a brokerage from their kitchen table. You know, we we need somebody that's got the the systems behind it that we know that that has the carrier relationship side to that and 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 can use those use the the data and make those decisions. The other portion of it is that we. We, we don't like to rebid or we rebid our, our entire network, but, you know, we, we don't turn over every carrier on every single lane. You know, this isn't this isn't an 80,000 lane truckload business where we're just going to, you know, move the pieces every single year. A lot of players out there are looking for partnerships. And, you know, I think that term gets used pretty loosely out there in the in the, uh, the world right now um, or in the world of transportation. But, you know, we're looking for true partners that are going to stick with us, look at it as a whole program, and then we're going to give you rigid lanes, you know, our bid process is very, very robust with data that we're giving you week in, week out of a 52 week average or a 52 week snapshot of the last year to show all that information. So, you know, you're getting the same freight week in, week out. Um, but a lot of, I, I think the industry, like you said, they treat brokers very differently. They don't give them the commitments. You know, we treat a broker just like a carrier. We're awarding freight week in, week out. And then from there, if we do have to have the exposure to the spot, uh, the spot market, we hope that they look at it as the entire program of business rather than this one lane I got to make 15% on no matter what. You know, the, we hope that there would be some padded, you know, some some insulation there for us. Josh, I'll give you first stab at this. How do you guys compete with a, with an asset provider? Um, well, I, I think Mike's right. You know, the data is better, um, but, but it's still a system that it's difficult for, for both sides. Um, you know, we're right in the middle of bid season right now. So we're going to make estimates and, and bets, if you will, on what we think PT uh, is going to do throughout the next bid cycle. Um, we look at it long term, though, too, um, and, and we, we work with our customers. We honor our commitments, really not to focus on maximizing our profitability or opportunity in, in the given time period we're in, um, but we think about it long term. But that being said, yeah, we're having to estimate right now, 12 months out, what a, what a spot market's going to do on the carrier side. And it, it can be tricky at times, but we, we make our best bets when we see what the customer needs. Uh, and we, we work with our customers throughout the year on, hey, what's working, what's not. And, and we try to look at it an entire book first on a lane by lane basis. And, and that's helpful. And, and uh, let me add a little bit twist to that. and I'll let you answer that, Andrew, what Josh just said is uh, it's the, the case. We're trying to forecast 12 months out and then honor the commitments for it. But, you know, not one of us on this uh, call or in this meeting or anyone else walking down the street could tell you what the price of anything is going to be in, in six months, let alone 12. So how does Molo maintain its 100% commitment to the customer with that great uncertainty of what a price of a truck is going to be in, in April? So... <clears throat> There's an old saying, right? Uh, all forecasts are wrong, but but some are useful, right? 
and everybody's heard it. And and my thought behind that is we know we're not going to be right 100 percent of the time. In fact, we're, you know, we're three and a half years old. Right. So the first time we went into a contract bid season with shippers, we were really wrong on a lot of lanes. Uh, but the next year around, we had supported those lanes for long enough that we had developed capacity in the right areas where the useful information from the forecast was where were we close and how do we leverage what we knew and learned from the past year to, to put ourselves in a position to make commitments that we're much more confident in now. So like as an example, if you were to ask me to make a commitment on two lanes, one lane being Chicago to Dallas, another lane being Anchorage, Alaska to Los Angeles, I'd be scared to price the Anchorage business because I've never moved a load out of Anchorage, but I move loads out of Chicago to Dallas all the time. I have relationships with carriers that I have confidence in, some more confidence than others. And then we come up with a price based on that. I don't want to be beating the asset-based carriers on all the rates. I'm, I'm probably in trouble if that's what's happening. But but a lot of, every shipper is different, right? Every shipper situation is different. Their expectations are different. Uh, but most shippers understand having the right balance of quality asset providers and at least a few really, really good brokers to support their business works. My job, my goal is to just be the best broker. Right? I don't want to beat the asset guys. Every shipper, most shippers have a need for at least one broker. And I, I think if we continue to do what we're doing, we'll be in the conversation as the one broker that a lot of shippers want to work with. And you bring up something very important there, and that's finding those right carriers. So if we just assume it for the sake of the exercise here that, that you're always willing to honor your commitments, same goes for you, Josh. With Mike, you have that shipper to broker relationship. The problem now moves from from that relationship to the relationship with the carrier. And now you have to find carriers that will honor that as well. Given that they're not your assets and that it's a huge thousands and thousands and thousands of carriers out there, uh, you know, to expect those relationships to be maintained, I think, is is a little uh, a little incorrect, to put it politely. Uh, you, you mentioned Chicago to Dallas. And yes, you spit out a rate that you want for that. But 2020's rates look a lot different than 2019's rates for Chicago to Dallas. So my question is, how do we make all of this binding for every person around? How does the commitment to the shipper stay? And how do you entice carriers to stay with you to honor the rates they've supplied to you? Unless you know you feel like we can continually go back and forth with each other, but that's just wasted productivity. And Mike doesn't want to come to you and demand a rate cut just as much as you don't want to go back to Mike and say, I need a rate increase. How do we make this situation where the price supplies so that Mike can budget appropriately and not come in over budget is honored. I try to figure out who are my best shippers and how are they treating me? I want to be that for the carrier. I want to, I want to be looked at as a shipper. We're developing our own routing guides and the carriers that service us best, they're getting the best opportunities from us, both on a contractual level and on a spot level, right? There are opportunities where the market's going to be very much in their favor. But what we've learned is there, there are also going to be times when the market is not in their favor. If I can provide them stability, treat them with respect, take care of them. They're getting better than what they're getting from 99% of the market out there. And, and they will stand by those commitments to us. And like I said, it's not there on hundred percent of the business. And I don't think we ever get there on hundred percent of the business, but we get there on enough. We get there on enough where I feel really good about what we're doing. Sure. And I get that with the shipper, but how do you maintain that same level uh, of commitment from the carrier side? You know, how do you get a, a network of carriers to honor their commitment to you that says, Andrew, I will run that Chicago to Dallas once a week for the next six months at the rate that you're telling me. I got to honor my commitments to them. I mean, we saw in April and May, the market tanked. I mean, I saw brokers posting loads for 50 cents a mile. It's, it's, it's asinine 
We, we didn't do that to our providers that had committed to us. We, we stuck by them. We gave them the same rates. They'd been be, be getting paid on them. My, my, as you know, you know, my, my, uh, my revenue is consistent on those lanes. So I don't need to flex up and down and try to make 18% one week and 7%. The so next, you kept whatever. your rate to the carrier the same. You didn't pay market rate when we saw the, the huge drop. If we had, if we had on the, on the arrangement that, that were committed, we, yes, we did. We had plenty of business that isn't committed yet, right? We're still a young company. It's at three and a half years old. So it's not like 100% of our no, business is committed. No, I just mean on the list, listen, we're close again. Keep but, this in the lane of um, your contract freight. Chicago to Dallas, we'll keep it the same example. Let's say you have a contract with Mike at a, at a $2. For easy math, let's say you contracted to the carrier at $1.70. When the rates dropped to $1.40, did you kept paying $1.70 to that carrier to run that lane? A hundred percent. If we had, if we had agreed to do that, if Josh and I made an agreement and JB Hunt says, we're going to run Chicago to Dallas for you to $1.70 and he's running for me to $1.70, I'm not pulling that business from him. No Josh, chance. you guys run it the same way? You just, yeah. For, and we call them dedicated carriers or routing guy carriers. But yeah, if, if we have carriers that are, that are committed, dedicated to us, we didn't change the rate on the route again on the, on the committed business. And it, it's, it's about carrier experience. You know, how do you keep carriers, I think your question was committed to you. Right. It's it's providing them. That's really what our 360 platform is trying to do, and it, it provides them access, visibility, and transparency into all of our business, uh, and is continue to keep our store shelf full so they have options to do stuff. So we're trying to help them not only pay the right rates, but save them time and money and run their business more efficiently. But yeah, for for dedicated carriers or routing guide carriers, we 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 continue to honor the commitments just like customers do for us on the rate side. So is that the way forward for all of this? You guys make your firm agreement with the shipper. You say to Mike, Mike, I'm, I'm holding steady at this rate. And you find carriers and say the same thing. Look, I have the agreement. Believe me, this shipper, he's not coming back to me for a rate cut. I'm going to hold my agreement to you firm. And we just move forward with, albeit handshake, but still firm handshakes that I have a shipper and a carrier and I'm just the conduit between the two. I think that I think that every situation again is unique for us. It's we have to stay firm to the fact because I do think there's so much kind of garbage in the industry. If we stop abiding by the commitments we make on both sides, we're we're done. We'll be just like a lot of the companies that that people associate negatively with with brokers. But you know, shippers are changing the rules, and and this is the big thing for me. I don't necessarily think contracts broken. I don't love it. But I don't think it's up to me to make the rules, right? I, I think it's my job to adhere to the rules set for us. What I've seen in the last month as shippers have gone to bid season is some are changing their ways a little bit, right? Some are going to more of a dynamic model. Um, some are doing it in, in looking at their low volume lanes and say, hey, we're going to keep those dynamically priced, you know, changing based on spot or, or whatever. Uh, and then on the larger lanes, they're sticking with the, the committed business or committed rates. I just think one thing to point out is and we can remain committed to our carriers that are dedicated or are on the routing guide, but we still buy a lot of transportation on the spot market. You know, there's thousands of carriers that are that are small and that can't commit to uh, routing guides or dedicated lanes. So you are buying a different truck uh, quite often on a different day for every different lane. So there's still a lot of spot exposure in the carrier market. And I think that's really the heart of the problem. And, and I'll pose this next question with a combination of your and uh, Andrew, your answer and, and Josh, yours, you know, a, real quick industry average estimates somewhere in the neighborhood of 70% each book or each load booked is a, a one-off, you know, 
I'll never see this guy again, or it's going to be another year before he runs a little for me. That's a problem because we can't have that binding carrier commitment that you're speaking of. Andrew, you mentioned uh, the shippers moving the rules or the go poles around in this, and, and that's part of the problem too. It isn't just brokers that uh, reject the load. You know, there's and obviously Mike, you're not one of them, but there's too many shippers that suddenly come up with mini bids where the RFP has been moved up when rates are low, where now the one year RFP magically becomes the two year RFP when rates are low. We're all moving the rules of the game around to benefit our own company. And that's part of the problem. To move this all into one central theme, there is an idea out there uh, of, of open transparency on a rate that both the shipper and the carrier get to see what the broker has on it. My question is that if we could all come to some agreement, if we had this magical rate that was published out into the, into the industry for what a lane really was, and your dedicated or your contract business to the shipper was your margin or your level of service applied on top of this industry accepted rate. Now the carrier can see what it is. Now the shipper knows what he's paying. You guys just put your margin on top of that. How does that fit into your company and your potential business model if we have that type of transparency for all? I, I don't know the answer perfectly because I haven't seen it or, or, or thought through it enough, but you know, I'm not opposed to transparency by any means. Um, you know, I, we've got nothing to hide. In fact, part of our business model has been to be overtly transparent about what we're doing. Um, it's why we get some of the flack we do when we say, you know, we had months that were really bad in terms of margins. And we're like, you're just spending money. That's not what we're doing. Um, so I'm not opposed to that. You know, I, it's it, it comes back to, for me, you know, if, if that's what a shipper tells me they want to do, um, I'm open to it, right? I got to figure out, does it make sense for me to, to abide by that type of rule, you know, you said we're at 100% acceptance. We're not 100% acceptance. We're 100% to the to the expectation, right? So if a shipper tells me 95%, I'm going to accept, if a, if a lane I'm getting killed on, I'm going to accept the 95%, right? And if they tell me you got to be at 100%, that's going to be reflected in the price I provide. It's going to be a little higher. If you tell me I can be at 50%, I feel confident being a little more aggressive in the pricing I provide. So I'm not opposed to anything. Right? That structure sounds like it's something that could work. I've never talked through it with a shipper or with a carrier. So it'd be really hard for me to give you a, a truly like educated answer on it. Well, I think it reinforces the idea that you put out there. You know, you said you, you kept carriers at the same rate uh, on a lane that you had from a shipper that didn't change their rate. So, the, you know, that works. And I'm taking you at your word for it. This is just a way to prove it to them. Look, this is what the, the load goes for. This is what the shipper has on it too. Josh, does that fit in anything you guys have at JBH? We, we do have, uh, we have agreements with customers that are that way. Um, you know, we will be completely transparent with the customer on what we're paying. They see what we pay um, as long as they're willing to share the risk. Uh, we'll use our platform to show what the offers and bids are on, on their loads. Um, and, and we're completely fine with that. Um, we then share the risk with the customer on what the price does. Uh, but now the market solves for it. The market solves for it fast. We can't accept 100% of the tenders. Uh, we won't reject any load. And this on-time service uh, combined with the you know 100% uh, acceptance is better than than the average market, considerably better. But there's risk on the shipper side uh, being susceptible to rate fluctuations. And, and rates will go down when it's a, a loose market, but rates can go up when it's a tight market. Right, and, and that's the key of it right there. You know, Mike, uh, not to cut you off, Andrew, but I want to get his opinion on this. Is that something that you guys could be comfortable with? You lose proper budgeting, but now you could move to a 100% compliance or 
if everything is open and transparent, now there's no argument on price. It's effectively a cost plus model with accuracy on that on that rate. Right. So so I think on the shipper side, that like Josh said, that 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 does expose us to a lot. And and what it does is that you know the the, the contracts that we have, I, we we obviously know that you know if, if I'm getting good business from Josh and the cost plus model is working, there's nothing to say that you know if he falls off and then I have to go to a different carrier that his purchase power might be much greater than the next carrier or broker that I have to go to. So that's one of the risks that we see with that is that, you know, if we don't have that purchase power within the carrier market, then that cost plus model, that's going to fluctuate way more. The other part of it is that, you know, we're at least in my scenario and, you know, not, I, I only don't provide or have to perform to a budget. I have to perform to our own customers as well, being a three PL. So, that that level of variability is is you know to be transparent is very unattractive to us that you know i i could see a portion of the business you know maybe like those those hard to cover lanes you know the, the the southeast for a portion of the year you know getting more dynamic and maybe breaking that off of the bid, the bid and saying you know that that could go to a cost plus for a certain amount of time or things like that like andrew pointed out earlier that the Shippers are being a, a lot more a lot more creative on how they're doing this. Maybe not going from the 12 month, but you know, reducing it to six months and doing spot bids, um, things like that. I, I do think that there is a, a place for it, but to have the entire program go to it, it, it is very risky. I mean, it, it turns us basically into a 4PL broker and just susceptible to the market, and it's not attractive to customers. Uh, we're coming up to 2021. RFP season is around the corner. How are you guys approaching this? knowing that any rate you could put out there could potentially be right or could be 100% wrong. I think it's an understatement to say uh, the unknown is has never been greater than it is right now. So I'll start with you, Josh. What are you guys doing to come with some sort of plan for 2021 and how you want to move forward with your contract pricing? Well, our plan's to grow. I mean, that's our plan every year is to grow. So we're approaching this bid season and Again, like we talked about earlier, taking our best guess at, based on the data, and we take an educated approach of what we think um, the transportation market's going to look like for the next bid cycle. And every bid's different because the data of it's different of when it starts and when they actually kick off the bid. Uh, but we're going to work with our customers. And, and in the end, we're solving for growth, solving for growth on a profitable uh, basis. And we're going to keep fine-tuning what we think is going to happen over the next year as we get feedback from our bids. Yeah, I mean, growth is growth is the name of the game for us. Um, we, we, we've got a lot of really good opportunities right now to continue to do that. You know, I think as we as we look at bids, we're we're we're, we're it's not around the corner. We're in bid season here, and and a lot of the larger shippers are going through it right now. And you know, the feedback we've seen is everybody's accepting the fact that that rates are obviously going to be higher than what they had committed to a year ago. Uh, there's no question about that. But for us, as we're pricing, we're trying to commit ourselves in the most I'm sorry, the, to the least volatile lanes within our network, the lanes that we know we have the most capacity. That's where we want to put most of our committed volume. Um, and, and so that's kind of how we're approaching it, trying to leverage the data of the last three and a half years, which we finally have data uh, versus where we were maybe a year or two ago um, to, to, to make the right commitments. Because at the end of the day, you know, we do still believe that once we make that commitment, we've got to be able to execute to it. Uh, and, and I'd like to not find myself in, in a position where we've got bad commitments. So we're, 
you know, where we're always looking at the data again. I know I think we I've heard data about 500 times in this conversation, but uh, you know, we're we're looking at the at the trends and all the data. We we've got a good idea of percentage-wise how high that's gone since the last year. Um, and, and really, we're we're keeping our commitments to our carriers too. You know, we're we're still making sure that we're not bailing. Um, we we do understand that the market's fluctuated, and th there's been a lot that has been repriced through our current bid cycle. So same thing, we treat our carriers well, and you know that seems to have happened, you know, in return, very much so. Yeah, I think that last thing you bring up is probably the key, and and the one takeaway from this: if we all work together to navigate this troublesome industry and, and the way that it's set up, I think we all come out better in the end because when none of us work together, we get into the situations that we're all in today. Absolutely, there, there there's no place to just bury your head in the sand and not acknowledge the pandemic and you know i mean we all see we all see the the, the stuff that freight waves puts out and you know the the graphs and the you know where, where prices have gone and rejections have gone that you know it's it, there's no denying it so you know at this point we all have to just figure out how to navigate it it's a good point we'll end on that josh Phelan, andrew silver mike carlisle again thank you all for joining me